If you're woke, you can grab your Bible and turn to, I don't even know how to use that in a sentence to make sense. <laughs> Acts 26 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, as EJ said, he's going to be right over there in the corner uh, as soon as we're done here. Feel free to drop by. Uh, they got all the details, and um, you can get your questions answered, figure out how to use woke in a sentence, all of that kind of stuff. Okay, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Please feel free to grab one of those. You can borrow it if you need to borrow it. If you need to have uh, one that you can read and understand, please feel free to take that. If you have one of those Bibles, we're on page 935, Acts chapter 26. Uh, we're in a series called Tell Your Story. And uh, the whole point is just to encourage you and inspire you, maybe even equip you a little bit uh, to tell your story. The, just open up your mouth and speak of the things that God has done in your life, done for you, that kind of thing. Last week we talked about how we tell our story even though we don't have all the answers. This is from John chapter 9, that, hey, I was once blind. I don't know everything, but I know this, that I was blind, uh, but now I see. That's a great, it's a great thing to keep in mind. Uh, today we're going to look at how Paul told his story uh, before the proconsul Felix and King of Agrippa. Um, just to bring it back down for us and set us in the context of the church, um, our church family in particular, we have this kind of three-tiered strategy uh, for sharing the gospel with people and helping people understand who Jesus is. It all starts, this baseline expectation of who we are, the foundation of our strategy is that we would um, participate in this culture of invitation, that we would be a people who regularly, consistently, naturally invite people to church. It wouldn't be you know, something we get all tensed up about. We can do it in line at Kroger or H-E-B or your favorite uh, grocery store. We can do it on the soccer field. We can do it out in the front yard at the mailbox or whatever, because it takes just a second to do that. It goes something like this. Hey, do you go to church anywhere regularly? That question is such a great question, and it, it invites uh, some sort of response. Some people say, well, I used to get um, Some people say, yeah, I go to this church or that church. Uh, if they don't um, connect with a church regularly, then what a great opportunity to say, man, we'd love to have you sometime at Heritage Park, and here are the times, and I'll meet you at the front door, whatever. We would just have a culture of invitation. When we are good inviters, you will be surprised. You won't be surprised because you know this comes. I mean, this is just how it happens, but, but this is all part of the strategy. It's why we build it the way that we did. Um, but when you are a good inviter, uh, what you find is people will engage you in conversation. And so you get an opportunity to tell your story. And that's really kind of what we're focusing on during these days is an opportunity to talk about how God has provided for you, how he's taken care of you, how he's uh, uh, blessed you, how he has seen you through hard times, how he's brought healing and hope to your life, how he's done all the things that he's done. You get an opportunity just to open your mouth and tell the story. And then the last part is the, the, the pinnacle where we all want to get, uh, and we'll point to that today, that we would be people who share the gospel. When we are good inviters, it opens up doors to tell our story. Uh, and when we tell our story, it opens up doors to share the gospel, that people could respond to Jesus and who he is and what he has done for them and receive him in faith and receive forgiveness from him and receive eternal life from him. That's where we want to be. So here we are in Acts chapter 26. Um, and want to uh, uh, just read a few verses with you here. And as I said, I'm really just tour guiding through these uh, next couple of weeks. The stories are so awesome. I don't have to say much. Uh, I really just want to read them and try to point out a couple of things here. Um, today, uh, as I said, Paul is uh, speaking to Agrippa um, and, and to Felix. And uh, he's going to kind of tell a little bit of his story. Not all the details, but he's going to tell some. So here in chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today. 
against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all of the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Verse 6. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day or night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority uh, from the chief priests, but but when uh, they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Today, the theme is the best part of our story. And Paul, you'll see here, spends time before the king speaking to the best part of his story. And it kind of breaks down in these three components, these three little phrases. And the first one is, I was. I was. Paul talks about things that were true about him in his past. Look back in verse um, in, in verse uh, 5. They've known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And then he continues on down in verse 9. I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So what did he do? He locked people up. He cast a vote against them uh, when it, the death penalty was on the line. And on and on and on. He went on and on and on about these things. I was. Every one of us has a past. Um, some of it, uh, you know, uh, brighter, better than others. Uh, every one of us has stuff in our history that we um, can talk about. Every one of us has stuff in our history that we'd rather not talk about. When it comes to telling your story, it starts with, I was, because it helps people, as we talked about last week, the messy parts of our story. It helps people identify, and it often opens up their hearts uh, to what God wants to say. When when, uh, you come to this part, when you get the opportunity to tell your story, and you speak about, I was, It typically goes one of two ways, kind of runs in one of two threads. The first thread is Paul's thread, that kind of religious thread. The religious thread goes something like this. Man, I was was just confident. I was just confident uh, that I was doing God a favor. Anybody ever... Maybe you grew up around church. Maybe you grew up around a religious home, whatever. This is what you felt like. Like, I mean, I may not be a number one draft pick, but I'm a lottery pick for sure. You know, when God brings me on his team, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to make some serious contributions. Like you, you just think, uh, hey, you know, I, God must like me because I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And I, I've gone to church, been around. Da, 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 da. I know all the drills. I know all the things. I know what to do. I know when to pray. I know when to stand. I know when to give. I know when to do all of these things. I thought I was doing God a favor. Some people, though, um, don't have that as a part of their story. Um, instead of being religious, they're, they're, they're the opposite. They're irreligious. Um, and the irreligious people don't have, I thought I was doing God, doing God a favor as a p- part of their story. Instead, they have, I did everything that I possibly could to, to numb the ache of my soul. 
I tried every possible way to numb the ache of my soul. I kind of either went the spiritual Advil route of it hurts, and so I'm going to take something in order to dull the pain, or they go the spiritual anesthesia route. Hey, it hurts, and I know it's not going away. I'm going to do everything possible to, to make myself forget. Why, why does your soul ache? And this is true of religious people too. They just fill their, their lives with religion. That is their drug, religion. Um, so, some people have different drugs. I mean, it's just a different thing. Uh, 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 possessions, people that you know, relationships, um, maybe some substance, uh, maybe some addiction. That's what you use to kind of numb yourself uh, to this ache in your soul. Question, why does your soul ache? Why does it ache? Because you were made for something that this earth cannot provide for you. Ecclesiastes says that you were made with eternity in your heart. So if you go pouring earthly things into an eternal space, all those earthly things do is get consumed. They're not going to fill anything. You've got eternity. Why in the world are you trying to fill it with? You have to find something eternal in order to fill that eternal space in your heart. And there's only one solution for the religious people, and there's only one solution for the irreligious people, and that solution is Jesus. He is the one who comes into our lives and meets the deepest needs of our hearts and satisfies the deepest longings of our souls. When we start telling our story, we start with I was, and if either of those two threads is you, you can just tell it like like Paul did here. There is a danger in this, and pastorally, I just want to say this to you. uh, There is a danger in telling this part of your story in the I was part of your story, and that is glorifying the sin that you had or that you were participating in, whether you glorified the religious side or you glorified the irreligious side. And I'll tell you, if you, if you, this is one way to know that you're glorifying the sin. If when you tell it, it smells like nostalgia. You, You ever go into your, an older person's home, grandparents or whatever, and you got that couch, you know the couch I'm talking about, and you sit down on it, and you're like, smells like grandma. If you talk about your sin like you talk about grandma's couch, that probably means that you're holding on to it instead of letting go of it. That's the danger. To, to glorify that sin. And it's just, it's just not... Uh, it's just not the way that you want to go. Uh, just a funny, uh, a funny little thing uh, got passed to me this week. My oldest kid actually um, sent it to me. Um, one of the one of the ways that we try to do this is by spicing up our testimony a little bit. And in fact, the Babylon Bee. Anybody Babylon Bee? It's like the Christian version of the Onion. Anybody the Onion? Four of you. Great. It's satire. It's a satire. It's a website full of satire, and it's hilarious. Um, this is uh, tips for spicing up your testimony. So I've got a few here. I'll just read a couple. But they just want to make sure that you don't have a boring testimony and that you can just add in, I'm quoting here, a few extra details, alternative facts, if you will, to spice up your testimony. Uh, here's one thing. Just tell people you got saved in prison. Because stories of people who got saved in prison are automatically much cooler than anybody else's. So, I mean, just start there. Uh, a couple of you may take this route uh, to spice up your, your, your story. Tell you, as you tell your story, the I was part of your story in particular, you could go get a tattoo. That's what it says right there. It suggests that. Because how will people know just how far from Christ you were if you don't have a tattoo? I mean, that's... If a couple of you choose to go that route, just call me because I want to go with you. I want to watch, okay? I just want you to, I want, I want you to know. There's some other funny ones too. I'll just leave that for now. Um, but it, here's, 
the danger is glorifying the sin. To make much of what was instead of what is. What we have to come down to in this section, what we, what we want to come down to, what we have to come down to is this. I was, I was separated from God because of my sin. When we talk about the I was, no matter the context, no matter the specifics, this is what it comes down to. I was separated from God because of my sin. Now, that's a bad place to stop. So if you're at a Super Bowl party this afternoon and uh, the chips and queso runs out at that point, just go ahead and keep talking, all right? Like, don't, don't stop there. Paul didn't stop there. You don't need to stop there. All that is is a, that's just a big dark place. Like, you got to move on from that just like Paul did. The, the second part of this is then Jesus. So we start with I was. When we tell our story and we get to the best part of our story, we start with I was. This is how it went for me. And then we move to then Jesus. And when we talk about then Jesus, what we're talking about is the story of how God rescued us. And the great thing about this is, this is a story that God has been telling for a long, long, long time. Some millennia, as a matter of fact. It just point you to a couple places here real quick, and then we'll read some more. But look back in verse 6. <clears throat> and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Do you see that? He's talking about, hey, God said some stuff to people who came long before me, and I'm on trial because of that. Now skip down to verse, excuse me, skip down to verse 22. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to small and great. Listen, don't miss this, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. When I say this is a story that God has been writing for a long time, the reason we say that is because we get written into the story, we're not the authors of the story. We're the people who get to participate in this, we're not the ones who uh, who generate this in and of ourselves. God has been telling this story ever since Eden. Ever since the beginning, Adam and Eve, they messed up, chose sin and rebellion. And because they chose sin and rebellion, God kicked them smack out of the garden. With this promise, there is coming a day when uh, the woman's seed will come up against the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel and the woman's seed will crush his head. That's Jesus right there. And then he makes a covering for them. Anybody need some covering in their life? He goes on to Noah, and he has, delivers Noah and his family from, the, from, their, uh, from all of the wickedness that surrounds him through the flood and says, I'm never going to do this again. I love the world too much to bring destruction without redemption. And then he comes to Moses, and he says, Moses, here's a law that people can live by. And, and walk in. But listen, there is going to come a person after you. You're a great prophet, Moses. There's going to be a greater prophet. And then he comes to David and he says, David, you're a great king, but one of your descendants will sit on this throne forever. And then he speaks through Isaiah and all the other prophets about the Messiahs to come. I'm telling you this because from way over here in Eden, all the way that way, God has been telling this story. He's been telling stories, uh, he's been telling this story of, of a people who desperately need him and that he is in pursuit of. He has been telling this story that there, well, there was a prophet, there's coming a greater prophet. There was a king, there's coming a greater king. And we can hope in that. The second part of this 
is that this then Jesus part, not only are we written into God's story here, but, but this is, it is a story of how God has rescued you. So let's keep reading together. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. When we talk about this as a story of how God rescued you, it starts with God intercepting you and me. Paul was going to Damascus thinking he was going to go there and continue to do the things that he was going to do. And all of a sudden, his world got rocked. Right somewhere between Jerusalem and Damascus, his world just turned completely upside down because a light from heaven shone. And, and here's the thing. God will stop us. He will intercept accept us. And that's not a bad thing, folks. That's a good thing because it rattles our cage and it gets our attention. He intercepts us. And what a great part of your story. Maybe you were a young kid. Maybe you were an older adult, whatever it may be that God stops you. He intercepts you and says, you think you're going that way. Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. No. I got something else entirely for you. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not like he intercepts us and leaves us. Look at what he happens after that. Verse 14. And when he, uh, excuse me, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's a phrase you didn't use this week. Um, Strange it may be. The, the second part of this, he not only intercepts us, stopping us, but he also pursues us because this is not just him stopping and then just wailing on us. This is him in pursuit. When he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Uh, this is an old agricultural thing. Uh, the oxen are in the in the yoke there, and they're running along. Oxen get stubborn, and so the farmer had a long, sharp stick called a goad, and he would poke the oxen in the, the haunches there. What a great parenting strategy. Anybody want to take this up with me? We just find some sharp sticks and be like, hey, let's see what happens. If you try that, let me know, okay? And see how it works out. I just think that'd be worthwhile. Uh, it, but he was doing that. The farmer would, uh, would do that to move the oxen along. To do what the farmer wanted them to do. Do you see where this is going? That God sometimes uses things to goad us, to move us along to where he wants us to be. He uses some things to prod us, to poke us, to, to goad us, to move us along to where he wants us to be. And listen, sometimes God is willing to use pain in order to pursue you. Because it will get your attention, it will shake you up, it will grab your, it will grab your uh, uh, mindset here and, and kind of rattle it until you, oh, 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 oh. Sometimes he's, using to, he's willing to use pain in order to pursue you. But not just that. I love this part. It's not just goad. It's goads, plural. For Paul, and my guess is for a lot of us, it wasn't just a single way that God was moving him along. There were actually multiple things. You think about your life, your story. When Jesus intercepted you and you knew that he was in pursuit of you, and you think about maybe a person who spoke into your life at a particular circumstance um, and, and time, and, and the words that they actually said, and the way that they said them, 
And here, what, what do you have there? All of a sudden, you've got four different things that God is using to prompt you, to goad you, right? These are goads. Sometimes it's a miracle, right? Some miraculous thing that has happened that you're like, whoa. Sometimes it, it, it is um, uh, something, a, a physical ailment, some sort of sickness. Sometimes it's, it, it's a, a circumstance. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's a tragedy. But there's more than one way that God grabs our attention, but when he does, listen, it's a, ref, it's a reflection of him being in hot pursuit of you and me. Don't take that as God being mean. Take that as God saying, hey, I want you. I'm trying to get your attention, you. And when you get the opportunity to tell your story, that's how you tell it. God got my attention. Here's how. Finally, he doesn't just intercept and pursue. He also uh, reveals himself. Look at verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear uh, to you. Uh, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you now uh, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He reveals, he reveals, when he does, he reveals. When we tell our story, we talk about how God revealed himself to us. He revealed himself, he revealed the path of deliverance, and he revealed uh, uh, what his expectation of us was. Here, here's the danger of when we tell this part of our story, the danger goes something like this, that we make ourselves the hero of the story. Folks, there is a hero in this story. When we get to the greatest part of our story, there is a hero. Guess who it's not? Me. I'll just get, this is not the same, but it's the same kind of thinking. The story of David and Goliath, anybody? David and Goliath, just not along with me if you know. We tell, sometimes, we tell that story and we kind of write ourselves into the place of David. There's Goliath out there, mean, bad guy. Here's little me. Oh, look, I've got some rocks. With the Lord's help. Poof, 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 shapow. The problem with that is we're not David. You know who we are in the story? We're the Israelites. Help, help. We're the ones cowering in the corner because we're so scared. We need a deliverer. Then Jesus. We're the ones over here scared out of our wits, and we need someone to rescue us. Then Jesus. We are the people who are rescued. It's not as if we've got a handy-dandy slingshot, and we're going to somehow deliver ourselves. It comes down to this. The then Jesus part of our story comes down to this. Then Jesus rescued me, and he forgave me, and he gave me eternal life. He rescued me, he forgave me, and he gave me eternal life. That's where it boils down. That's where it comes down. However it looks for you specifically, that's what it comes down to. When we talk about I was, I was separated from God because of my sin. When we talk about then Jesus but then Jesus rescued me, forgave me, and gave me eternal life. And now one last, one last section here. One last section. Keep reading verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, 
but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Um, when, when we talk about this last part, we talk about now I. We don't get stuck in the past with I was. We talk about now I. Um, th- there is something present tense about this because Jesus is in our lives. He is in the business of transforming our lives. And so what, what is, what does that look like? How is that happening now? This is also a part of our story. And so Paul starts with, Hey, listen, there is a consequence. The impact that Jesus had on me was consequential for me. The impact that happened when Jesus intercepted me and pursued me and revealed himself to me is consequential for me today. And so what did he start with? He started with, uh, well, I guess I'll just figure out how to live this life. I, I know that now, because of Jesus, I am forgiven of my sin. I am delivered from the penalty of sin, but not just delivered from the penalty of sin. I'm delivered from the power of sin. You remember verse 18? Turn from darkness to light. Turn from uh, uh, the power of Satan to God, that we might uh, live as people who are sanctified by faith uh, in him. That's what he's saying. But since more than that, the consequence was he immediately began preaching. He, he just took, he started telling people the story. Question, did he have all the answers at that point? No. No. He didn't. He hadn't written a book of the New Testament. I mean, he hadn't done anything. He was just Paul trying to figure this out. It was so crazy, though. The transformation was so amazing that the people who heard him were like, hey, wait a minute. Weren't you Saul? Like he was just persecuting us, and now you're preaching to us? This is very strange. The transformation was so radical that that, that's that's the way that um, that it happened. The, The impact is consequential. And just a couple more thoughts here. And may this, may this particular part be true of us, that his story led to the gospel. Because we're not the heroes of our story, because we're not glorifying our sin, his story led to the gospel. Look at verse 21. We, we read a couple of these verses just a second ago, but look. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Just a real pause for just a second here, just a moment. When you become a follower of Jesus, not everything goes up and to the right. Sometimes there are people who seize you and try to kill you. It's just part of the deal. Good news. Jesus is way better than that. You're getting way way more in this bargain than you lose. I promise you. I promise you. Uh, Anybody who stands on TV or in some other place and says, oh, listen, if you just believe, it always goes great for you, is a liar. Okay? They're a liar. Don't listen to them. All right. Mini sermon over. Verse 22. Uh, to this day, I've had the help that comes from God, so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. His story led to the gospel. May it ever be true of us that when we tell our story, we get the opportunity to say, man, listen, Jesus is in the business of rescuing people. He rescued me, and he can rescue you. Last thing, that his, uh, his story was intended to inspire. It was intended to persuade. That's what he says in verse 24. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, who was the proconsul there, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Felix. Oh, excuse me, Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. 
And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not happened or has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, don't miss this part. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Verse 28, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's his answer, yes. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that uh, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become as I am, except for these change. His story was intended to persuade. When we tell our story, what what we're doing is trying to persuade. We're not just shelling out information. We're not just dealing facts out. We're trying to persuade. We're trying to invite. This is not an informative talk. This is an invitation to believe something. It's an invitation to believe something. It comes down to this. Now I, now I have been transformed by Jesus. And I, fill in whatever blank you need to fill in there. Now I have been transformed by Jesus and I go to work differently than I used to. Now I've been transformed by Jesus and when somebody comes up and hits me in my cabin group at at Pine Cove Camp in the City, um, I give them a bracelet because I want to treat people differently. I have. Even though there's tension, even though there's this racial stuff, even though I want to treat people differently than than they treat me. Um, Now I walk through hardship and and, um, diagnoses and that kind of thing differently. I walk through it with hope because Jesus is in my life. Now I um, live my life in, in, in marriage and parenting, in my family. I live my life with a purpose and sense that I am passing something along to them that is of an unbelievable treasure. Now I, whatever it may be, now I have been transformed by Jesus. And because of that, I, and then you just fill in the blank. How is your life different because Jesus is in it? And then how is somebody else's life different? Because Jesus is in your life. Tell your story. And this is the absolute best part of that story. We're going to come to communion here in just a moment. And you know what we're going to celebrate? That we were separated from God by our sin. Then Jesus came and bore our sin and purchased forgiveness for us and favor with God. And now we are a people who get to live a life that's marked by eternity instead of just earth. So I'm going to invite you to get settled and invite the deacons forward. If you've got stuff to put down, let's do that. And we'll celebrate communion here in just a moment. The band's going to come up and I'm going to pray for us in just a moment after everybody settles in here.